I love the communication. Uh, let's pray. Let's go before God with all that energy. I'm feeling it. Was y'all worshiping? I was worshiping, Doc. Ooh. Ooh, the Lord is good. Oh, Father. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we want to thank you, Lord, for blessing us this morning, allowing us the opportunity to sing praises to your name. Lord, thank you for the vocal cords that we have that allow us to sing. Lord, we, we don't know what we have until it's gone sometimes. And Lord, we want to praise you for what we have, what you've given us. You've given us vocal cords to sing praises, Lord. And far be it from us that we lose these things and then desire and, and regret that we didn't use them to praise you like we ought to have. And so, Lord, I pray that, that right now, this morning, that we would use them appropriately that we would use them for what they were created to do, which was to sing praise, to think about, talk about, uh, enjoy the good things of God, share, teach, listen, receive, encourage, and exhort one another with words of affirmation and biblical truth that we would grow into maturity in Christ because we weren't shy about using the gift of vocals that we have, that we would build one another up with these things. Hmm. And yet, Lord, I use them so frequently for things of selfishness. I use my vocal cords for my own gain, my own praise, my own acknowledgement. I want others to use them to give and, and, and ooze out sinful praise to me or to something other than you. And I'm not alone. We use our voices to do all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, may the screen time of our voices have more bar on its praise of you than anything else. This morning, Lord, we need your presence. That's what we want. Everything else is secondary and won't satisfy. We need you to be in this place, O Heavenly Father. We bow to you, O King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for fixing our worship this morning. Thank you for fixing our 9 a.m. prayer this morning. Thank you for ordaining these people to be here at this time in this place for a reason this morning. May not have been our plans, but it was yours. And Lord, we thank you for these plans. Would you continue to fix our plans? <sighs> Father, be glorified. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, uh, Pillar Church. My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. I want to bring a couple things to your attention. Um, as normal, uh, you should have gotten when you came in two sheets. Um, one is kind of the order of service. And on the back, there's some QR codes if you're a digital head. Uh, these QR codes on the bottom one is one for what the children will be learning th today. And the top one is our cross-reference sheet. But there are a number of us who are dinosaurs and you like to write things. And so we also provide for you. I'm a dinosaur when it comes to this stuff. So we also provide a printed cross-reference sheet. And we will utilize these scriptures and more as the Lord supplies during this service. And so I encourage you to have that, use that at your discretion to the glory of God. We've been doing a series in the book of Galatians. And so go ahead and turn there in your copy 
of the book of Galatians. We're still in chapter one. We'll be in chapter one for quite some time. While you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you a story of a time when I was in high school and I went to go visit New York City. So I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, lived in Cambridge. Yeah, Beantown out here, baby. Where you at? Yeah, the only one. It's only us, baby. But we strong. We strong. We strong out here. We know where we at. This is the Lord's house, though, so grace, grace. So there were two buses that used to bring us from Boston to New York City. It was Fungwa or the, or the Lucky Star. And you would hop on one of those buses. It was $5, and then it turned to $10 to get to New York from Boston. And so at this point, it was $10. We were all upset about it. $10. And before we went to take the bus to Boston, my mother gave me a warning. She was like, baby, be careful. I know you're going to be there with your friends, but be careful because we don't know, you know, it's New York. You know what I mean? Not good. I'm from Boston. Remember how we feel about New York. It's not good. You know, be careful. There's people out there. There's swindlers out there. Um, Just watch your back. Be careful. Right. The general normal mommy warning. Right. That any mother would give that warning to their child. Be careful. And so we went ahead and we was going into New York City. And if y'all been to New York City, then, you know, scattered around the outskirts of New York City, there are a bunch of um, um, boutiques and sellers of of fine goods. Right. And so if you've ever been there and they come and they hassle you. Right. And so we're walking down the street and a dude runs up on me. He's like, yo, my man, I know exactly what you need. And I'm like, what? It's like, you need these new J's. And I, for you to who don't know, those are Jordans, Air Jordans. OK, <laughs> need them new J's. And I was like, Doc, you right. I need these. New, I, have, I had no discernment. OK, zero. I was like, you right. I need these new J's, but I got big feet. I was like, what size you got? He was like, we got every size. We got size 17 if you need them. And I was like, word, I'm not a 17. But he came out, he, he showed me, you know, they only show you one side in case you snatch and run, right? So they showed me the left and was like, check it. And so I'm looking at it, I'm like, yo, bet, right? How much are these, how much are these J's? He was like, man, I'll give them, for you, that's how they say it, for you, $65. I was like, 65 for these J's? These J's are about a buck 20 at the time. I'm like, 65, bro, bag them up. Pulled out the wallet. I turned to the homies and I'm like, oh, right? Turn back, take the bag, exchange the money, start going out on our way. Later on that day, we take the bus back home. On the way home, you know, your boy got to check the J's. So I pull him out the bag and the J's had a little yellow tint that I didn't see before. And the jump man on the J's, if you know, that's, that's Jordan's logo. The, the jump man is usually like this, but this jump man was backwards like this. And you saw just a little bit of something that you're not supposed to see on the jump man on his rear end. And it's like, whoa, 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 what is, what is this? I pulled them both out and we were already like two hours into the trip. And I'm like, oh, I got played. You best believe I cursed his name. I don't even know his name, but I was like, that dude curses be upon him for selling me. And if y'all laugh, cause it's happened to you, y'all, y'all been swindled, right? I was like, curses to this man who sold me these, these bootleg J's. How dare he sell me these bootleg J's. I didn't heed my mother's warning well enough. I think what happened was that as I turned around to celebrate, I looked back and he had exchanged the real J's for the fake J's. That's what I think happened. I'm not sure because I didn't see it, but I didn't heed my mother's warning because my mother would have been like, hold on, open it right now. See y'all, you heard all the mothers go, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh. Open them right now, nope, this got a a scuff, give me a new one, right? I didn't do that. I didn't examine it hard enough. I wasn't careful enough. I didn't heed the warning enough. And because I didn't heed the warning, I paid the price. And that's just normative for all of us. When we don't heed the warning, 
we oftentimes pay the price. It's funny because in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is giving a warning on a large scale to the churches of Galatia, and he's warning them to watch out for counterfeits. He's saying, keep your eyes open for falseness, especially as it pertains to the gospel. Watch out for fake gospels or things that portray themselves as gospels. Watch out because they're out there. And if you're not careful, you go home with a bootleg gospel, a gospel that can't save and doesn't help. And what's crazy is many of us in this life believe a false gospel Our life is not transformed, and then we blame God in the gospel for not transforming our life when it wasn't the the true gospel to begin with. Y'all see how that happens? We believe something false. Then we we cancel the whole thing because it didn't work, and it's like, no, baby, we had the wrong thing to begin with because we weren't careful to examine it and to see whether or not what we were giving ourselves to was a counterfeit or not. There's people in the area of Galatia who Paul says are troubling the believers there because they're proclaiming a distorted gospel. Now, here's what's interesting about that. These people that the Apostle Paul, who's the author of your letter, by the way, quick note, this is most likely the first letter the Apostle Paul ever wrote is the book of Galatians. It's most likely the first letter of the New Testament ever written chronologically. Okay, so this is early, early, early stuff. Paul's breaking ground here, so to speak. Um, There's a little, you know, was marked before. But by and large, they're thinking this is probably the first letter written and distributed to to the churches of Galatia. What's interesting is that these people, these troublemakers in Galatia who are. Uh, perpetrating a false gospel probably don't think that they're perpetrating a false gospel. Like, think about that. They, They probably think they're enhancing the gospel. They probably think that they're, they're making it more efficacious by adding some kind of sauce on top of the gospel. Y'all remember my sauce analogy from last week? It was banging. I got an email about it. It hit. Go listen to last week. By adding something to the gospel, they actually distorted the gospel. Tampering with Jesus' perfection with our imperfection will result in rejection. Ooh, that was good. But it's true more than it's good. Tampering with Jesus is perfection. Don't do that. When we do that with our imperfection, it results in rejection, both our rejection of the true gospel and Jesus's rejection of the falseness that we've believed. In every generation, there are people who either wittingly or unwittingly distort the gospel of Jesus. In every generation it occurs. Somebody is either distorting the gospel or they're proclaiming a different gospel altogether. Historically, throughout the ages, the way that people distort the gospel is to distort the person of Christ. That tended to be the earliest ways in which people distorted the gospel outside of what we're seeing here. Uh, There was theologies, and I won't explain what these are, but there was something called Gnosticism that was ravaging the late early church. It was a belief that Jesus, I I am going to explain it now because I just want to. Gnosticism was the idea that salvation came through an enlightened knowledge of things. One of the doctrines of Gnosticism is something called Docetism. Docetism is the idea that anything that's made out of the flesh is evil and anything that's made out of the spirit is good. And so if Jesus being 100% man 
made of flesh, born as a man, encased in body, then they would deem that he was evil. And so the way they, that, they, that they got around this is they said that Jesus's body wasn't actually a physical body. It was more like what happened when he resurrected, which is a spiritual body. But that's not what the scriptures teach about Jesus. And so the Gnostics corrupted Jesus and therefore they corrupted the gospel. Because God demands a like sacrifice for our sins to, to satisfy God's wrath for human sin and needs perfect humanity, perfect human blood. And none of us are that. Jesus is perfect life. His blood is pure enough to be accepted by God the Father. There's more there. They would distort, as I said, they would distort it by saying that Jesus isn't God. But we know the scriptures teach that he is God. They would distort Jesus by saying that Jesus wasn't human. But the scriptures teach that Jesus was human. They would distort the, the, Jesus by saying that he didn't die. Jesus died, y'all. I don't care what theory you read online. We, you know, it's funny. We ascribe the first century people as being so stupid. Well, they don't know what a dead person would look like, really, because scientifically, no. In many ways, they were far more intelligent than we are. We are so dependent. We've never done anything with a dead body before. They have. We're the ones that are distant from all these things, not them. Anyway. And then the vast major minority now, because of the blessedness of God preserving history, the vast uh, minority of people will say, well, Jesus didn't even really exist. And what we know is that that's, that's almost laughable now. In any school, any scholarship, that's almost a laughable concept, that Jesus didn't really exist. If you distort Jesus, you'll inevitably distort the gospel. But most prevalent today isn't necessarily a distorting of Jesus. What I find as I engage people on the block is that they're not distorting Jesus as much because they're ignorant of him and they don't really know what to say about him. And so wisely, they stop talking about him. But what they did instead of distorting the gospel is they created a new gospel. There's a new thing that we stick with. And this thing has even infiltrated us in the church. I call it a works-based self-salvation mechanism that's flawed and wrong. And if you've ascribed to this, I want to gently call you to turn from this thing. It's called betting on yourself. You've all heard that. Some of us have said that. Don't do that. It sounds good in theory to trust yourself, depend on yourself, look out for yourself. And oftentimes this works for temporary, you know, momentary gain and achievement and even some happiness for a short time. When you bet on yourself, you get a little bit further in your own mind. You think you've got somewhere with it. But our finite work and our finite benefits draw insufficient funds when it comes to the eternal. It doesn't work. This is why people who have sacrificed so much of their energy and their time and their resources and they attain so much earthly um, earthly um, success, that's why they feel so woefully unsatisfied with what they've done. This is why millionaires and billionaires commit suicide. You weren't built to be satisfied by material gain, brethren. And you weren't built to depend on yourself for anything. I got scripture for this. But before I give you the scripture, this, is, this hit me, so I want to just read it. It says, it turns out that that dream house didn't hit like you thought it would. Right? It turns out that that car didn't hit like you thought it would. It turns out that that job you were sacrificing and lying and cheating to get didn't hit like you thought it would. It turns out that that situation that you were manipulating to get didn't hit like you thought it would. And here's the one that hit me. It turns out that the financial ends that you were striving to get didn't hit or doesn't hit like you thought it would. 
All these things that we're trusting in gave us five minutes of hooray, and then all of a sudden we're right back to where we were because it wasn't built to satisfy us. This is what betting on yourself is. Betting on yourself is a satanic trap to train your mind to abandon God. That's what that is. Okay? Don't, you don't want that. You think I'm... Scripture, ready? Look in your cross-reference Jeremiah 17. I just paraphrased the text. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, in your cross-reference sheet. Verse 1, it says, This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person. Let that hit. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human, human flesh his strength. That's called betting on yourself, right? Then look what he says. And his heart turns from the Lord. That's the result. Betting on yourself is a satanic trap to train your heart and mind to abandon God. It's a it's it's a scheme that we fall into that reverses creation order, where it says that we are now the sovereign God in control of all things. And God is whatever you want him to be, whatever supporting role you want God to play in your life. That's what he'll play. But I'm betting on me. It's a lie that tells us that we're in control. It's a lie that tells us that we got this. Those are lies, brethren. And then when the thing that we thought we had starts to crack, the thing that we thought we had control of starts to crumble, because the reality is you can have everything and things don't go your way, right? And so we think we're betting on ourselves, we're getting somewhere, and then that mug starts to crack and crumble, and then we begin to question our own existence because everything we put our hope in and our energy in isn't working anymore, and that's what you were bound up in is that thing, thing is, is a lie that's built to pull you away from the living God. Beloved, hear this. If you ascribe to that gospel or any other gospel, you're not okay. You're not okay. You're not okay with yourself, even though you say you may be. You're not okay with God if you ascribe to any false gospel like that, which is why the Apostle Paul is so adamant about the Galatians believing the right gospel. Look at verse 8 of Galatians chapter 1. It says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, a curse be on him. That ain't no powder puff statement, y'all. Y'all see that? That's harsh. And some of us may even read that and be like, that's overkill, Paul. A curse be on him if they preach Another gospel, it's not overkill. I think it's proper, and it's proper if we have a right perspective on this. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, giving his life in exchange and exchanging his righteous life for our sinful one, that we might be forgiven, free, and in right relationship with God if we turn from our sin and entrust our life to him. This is the greatest news ever told, but it's easily tampered with. Paul seems certain that the Galatians, at some point after Paul evangelized that, that land, he was certain that these Galatians believed that salvation came through the person of Jesus Christ alone. He was certain of such things. Otherwise, I doubt Paul would have left the region. Until they understand what's true, Paul's going to likely would be there. And he didn't want anyone teaching them otherwise. Beloved, I don't want anybody teaching you otherwise. Look in your cross-reference sheet at the next four verses, and I want your mind to see the exclusivity that the scriptures put on the person of Christ. Look at John 14, 6. 
Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ready? No one gets to the Father except through me. Look at Acts 4.12, the next one. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Beloved, look again at Matthew 121. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. Y'all see, he's saving his people from their sin. And then look at Acts 10, 43. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, anyone who believes in him, what do they get? Receives forgiveness of sins. Beloved, what's noticeably missing from those gospel statements? Your work. Betting on you. Anything you think you're bringing to the table. Not there. Believe no other gospel. There is no work that we can perform that is acceptable to God. Look again at your cross-reference sheet, Jeremiah 29, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. The wise should not boast in his wisdom. The strong person should not boast in his strength. A wealthy person should not boast in his wealth. Sounds like betting on me. But the one who boasts should boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. Paul would later tell us the means by which we attain this salvation in Jesus alone in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. That's in your sheet as well. It says, for by grace you have been saved. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God or it is God's gift. And then notice what Paul does. He intentionally subtracts you from the equation. Not from works. So that no one can boast. Beloved, don't get it twisted. We're saved by works. It's just not ours. We're saved by Jesus' work. I want you to, if, if you're inclined to believe betting on yourself is wise. I want the next cross-reference to hit, Proverbs 28, 26. When I read this, it hurt me. Look what it says. The one who trusts in himself is a fool. Don't get caught up believing the lies of our culture or of anybody who tells us that we ought to be betting on ourselves for any amount of progress or success in any life, in any way, shape, or form. We depend on one person and one strength to, to, uh, to achieve everything we do, and if we don't, we are trying to rip glory away from the king of glory. And God's not having that. That's not a wise thing. That's a foolish thing. God will have his glory at the end of the day, even if it's in him crumbling your glass castle that you've been building your whole life. 
The Apostle Paul wants the same thing for the Galatians that I want for you. I want you to believe no other gospel. This should take weight off your shoulders. That you no longer have to perform to appease God. You can perform all you want, all the works in the world. You can do everything right, but you're born in iniquity. Even your good deeds are probably selfish, self-righteous good acts. What we need to be doing is entrusting ourselves to Jesus alone and be set free from sin, be forgiven from sin, and be adopted as God's children, not just his creation. Paul said in verse 8, look what he said. He says, if we, circle the, if you want, you can circle the, if we, or an angel from heaven, you can circle that too, should preach to you a contrary gospel, let him be accursed. Now, that, that, this, these verses are funny. He says, if we are an angel from heaven, right? And so the first thing you're reading is like, oh, angels be coming down and trying to preach false gospels? I don't necessarily think that's where he's leaning in the text. I think he's using hyperbole, which is exaggeration, which actually connects to real life. We do this all the time. I didn't have time to think of a great example. But look what Paul's doing. He's, he's relating an, an exaggeration to real life. And, and this is why I think he's doing that. Uh, this, the land of Galatia is inside a, a bigger region called Phrygia. And in Phrygia, Paul also later writes a letter to the Colossians, right, in Colossae. And he says something eerily similar that he says to the Galatians here. Look what he says in Colossians 2.18. He says not to delight in ascetic practices, right? He's telling the Galatian Christians, don't delight in beating up your body in order to attain favor with God, okay? That's what he's saying. You can beat yourself up and not feed yourself all you want. That doesn't gain you favor here. So don't do that ascetic practices, right? That's hurting yourself. And then he says, nor don't delight in the worship of angels. And then he says, nor those who claim access to a visionary realm. There are people seemingly in Colossae who most likely, according to research is kind of showing this, that probably worship some kind of angelic beings to some level or degree. And then they would claim to get revelation from those beings and proclaim and put that revelation on the people of God. And Paul says, don't delight in those practices. Don't don't worship no angels. You worship God alone. And then he says, don't even listen to these people who claim access to visionary realms. These people who have special knowledge that you can't attain. Don't believe that. If somebody says, I have special knowledge that you can never have. Be, man, let them spider senses go up. Give them the scriptures and say, well, I got knowledge everybody has. Okay, and let that speak. But look what Paul says at the end of Colossians 2.18. He says, such people, those, those individuals who seem real spiritual. No. Nah. He says, those people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual minds. That's one of the most unspiritual things that there are is to, act, to, to claim accesses to visionary realms and worship angels and ascetic practices. Paul's basically saying this in a nutshell. I don't care who the messenger is. I don't care if I come back to you. I don't care if the apostle Peter comes over here. I don't care who comes, who you hold in high esteem. If he gives you anything contrary to the gospel I originally gave you, let him be accursed. Reject it. Believe it not. The gospel that saved you, if it, if it turns to the left or to the right of that, reject it. Don't tolerate it. And then what the Apostle Paul does in verse 9 is to show that that wasn't just a momentary fit of anger. He doubles down on his statement. 
And usually when you interpret scripture and you see something that is written twice or doubled, there's sometimes it's a poetic mechanism and sometimes it's just an emphasis. The idea here either is look at what he's saying. He's highlighting it for a reason. And then he says in verse nine, as I have said before, he's not probably not talking about the last sentence he wrote. He's probably talking about when I was with you. I told you these things too. As I said before, I now say again, if anyone Anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you believed, a curse beyond him. Here's the question for you, beloved. Who's trying to get you to bet on yourself? What kind of false gospels are we believing that we think we're going to be satisfied by? If you don't take the time to think about these things, you will fall victim to them. Always be reevaluating faith alone in Christ alone. Always be looking, why do I feel this way? Probably because you have some kind of workspace system in you that's hard to root out. We all have it. I have it all the time and I don't get my daily reading at my daily reading time. I feel this guilt that is false. I read as a response of his grace, not as a means to attain. I love my neighbor as a response to his grace, not to, as a means to attain favor with God, but I find myself doing those things. I remember one time, just to, my, my dude, Pastor Eric, was driving. He was, he was coming down to this side of the city to do some work in some of the area apartments that we like to do work in. And as he was driving, he pulled over. And he, and he told me, he was, I started to weep. And I was like, what you crying? You all right? And this is on the phone he's telling me. And he's like, no. He's like, I had to repent. He's like, I was going down here to look good and to gain favor with God. And I wasn't going down here to glorify him in any ways. I had to stop. He pulled over on the road and just cried out to God, I'm sorry. I'm here trying to appease you with my work. This doesn't even feel good what I'm about to do because I'm not doing it out of a right heart. It's not a response of your grace. It's a duty to attain favor with people and with you. Forgive me, Lord, for that. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We do this. We all need to repent. What does it look like for you? It may look a little different. What does it look like for you? You've got to think about those things. Then look at verse 10. Paul says, For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I was still, if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Beloved, there's a lot going on in this verse, particularly in the original languages, but here's the nutshell of what he's saying. Though I may be trying to persuade you, I'm not necessarily trying to please you. Okay, Paul is speaking to the Galatians and he's saying, though I want to persuade you, I'm not necessarily trying to please you. Here's a verse you don't have in your cross-reference sheet that I thought of as I was looking through this. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Paul is loving them by not trying to appease them, but trying to persuade them. Paul understands something that we understand in this generation, too, that pleasing people can go from a kind gesture to bondage real fast. Some of us get riddled with like anxiety at the thought of someone not liking us. Right. Some of us are that way. If, if something we do isn't approved by the person we hold in high esteem, we're kind of like can't sleep at night. Beloved, this is called the fear of man. When what people think about us is more important than what God says or thinks about us. And I feel that even as a pastor, 
as I try to shepherd and be one of the lead servants here at Pillar, I'm always cognizant of what people say about how we should do service or how we should do groups or how we should do community or how we should do care. And I'm always wrestling with this idea. Do I just do that? Is, is there truth in that? Or am I capitulating in that? Like I'm constantly in that, that, that sauce, that soup of I want to please God, but I, I want to be most beneficial to people. And it leads me to want to please people. But sometimes pleasing people isn't necessarily what God wants for these people. And so I'm always in this, 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 I'm always agitated, right? And y'all feel that. That's mine. I don't know what yours looks like, but there's somebody or something that you've given power to so that when they don't approve of you, you can't sleep. You're anxious. You're in the stew with me. I don't know those people, but you know those people in your life who got you that way. Now, I want you to hear me well. There's nothing, there's nothing, Paul's not even advocating this. There's nothing outright wrong with trying to please people. Okay, like on its face, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul says he pleases people. Look at in your cross-reference sheet, 1 Corinthians 10.33. And there's a secondary one under it, but that's what we're going to read. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, Paul says, right? Not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many. He wants to bless as many as he can. He wants to please them so that they might be saved. I feel that. When I read that, I feel that. But Paul's willing to go the extra mile in pleasing people to the end. Let me, let, me, let me say it again. Paul was willing to go the extra mile in pleasing people to the end that he wouldn't cause an unwarranted stumbling block. Okay, that was how he wanted to please people. If this thing that I am or do or say or dress or wear is a stumbling block to the person I'm with, I want to please them in surrendering my, my, my freedom to wear this thing or say this thing or have this thing so that they don't stumble over the message I want to proclaim. It's always focused on getting them to hear the truth. Here's what Paul will not compromise. If he has to compromise the content of his message in order to please you, he's not doing that. He draws a line in the sand there. Paul's not, what, Paul, what Paul's not willing to do is compromise the truth of the gospel in an attempt to graciously please people. Paul wasn't willing to give people that kind of power over him. There are two Proverbs that I want us to juxtapose when it comes to people having power over us. Proverbs 29 and then Proverbs 1. It's in your cross-reference sheet. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare. You see that? When you fear man, what do you get as a result? A snare. Because man's desires change and they twitch and they, they want you to do things that are ungodly and holy sometimes. And, right? But then juxtapose that with Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want, you want snare or you want knowledge? Who are you giving power over you? The principle that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6.24 reigns true here. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Beloved, we need to be considering what has mastery over us. Does the expectations of certain people have mastery over you? The desire to be culturally relevant? That's real. Don't sleep. I feel that weight, even on my shoulders. The desire to be relevant or culturally acceptable, right? That make you capitulate to do things you wouldn't normally do according to the text? Nah. Financial fears may have power over us. Genesis 6-7, a classic text. This, this is what it says. 
Sin is crouching at the door. Sounds like a predator, right? Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. That means to rule over you, to master you. But what do we need to do according to the verse? But you must rule over it. If you don't spend time evaluating what outside of the Lord Jesus is influencing us, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 will be spoken of us. Look what it says in Galatians 6, 1. Oh, 1, 6, sorry. Galatians 1, 6. Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the gospel, by the grace of Christ. People pleasing eventually leads you turning away from God unto pleasing that thing or that person or that cultural norm that's compelling you to follow it or it will call you anathema. And Paul's like, nah, it's, it's amazing. The, the, the very message that just saved your soul from sin and Satan and hell and all these things just set you free from these things. You're already turning your back on it because of some cultural pressure. Because somebody said that they don't like that you do that. We evaluate all things and sift all things through the scriptures. If somebody says that, we consider that. Think through that. Sift that. If it's true, it's true. We bow to it. If it ain't true, we stand against it. Doesn't matter how many people believe it. You got to be willing to stand alone on the truth of God's word. Fear no man, no culture, no entity. Stand on the truth of God's word. If you want to please people, give them what they need to hear. And give them what they want to hear. If you want to be a servant of Christ, Paul's saying, give them what they need to hear. But here's your posture in doing it. Because I know some of y'all like, I got some truth. I'm ready to spash on somebody. Ah. Right? The posture we give is found in these two passages, Ephesians 4.15 and 1 Peter 3.16. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. 1 Peter 3.16, do this with gentleness and respect. If Paul would have capitulated the truth of the gospel, many would have come to faith in a false Jesus with a false sense of salvation, and they would have been just the people that I explained at the beginning, those who say that my life is not changed it's because you believe something that doesn't change lives. But not to put up with these things. Beloved, preaching another Jesus means preaching another Savior. If we preach another Savior, that means we're preaching another way of salvation. But what did we learn earlier? There is no other way of salvation, according to John 14, 6. And salvation is by grace through faith, according to Ephesians chapter 2. But know this, verse 10. Let verse 10 be the last thing that you hear from Paul's lips on this for today. He says, if you're still trying to please people, you are not a servant of Christ. Here are some application questions. First application question is this. And I don't care how seasoned you are as a Christian. Do you know the gospel? Do you know it? And that should be a regular question. What's the gospel? What's the gospel? Every, every, every couple of weeks, just what's the gospel? Right? Reevaluate it in light of what the scriptures teach about the gospel. Second thing is this. Do you believe the gospel? It's one thing to have a head knowledge of these, of these truths. But do you believe it? Third thing, have you been adding to it? If you've been adding to it, it's time to repent. And maybe that's the reason why you've not experienced the beauties of God's grace, because you're adding bad sauce on his perfect state. Four, whose expectations are you striving to live up to? And I put in brackets the word bound. Whose expectations have you bound under them? 
the one person you just can't, no matter what they say or do, that there's too much power. You're giving them too much power. And then here's the thing. Contrast that power that they have over you with the freedom you have in Christ. And let that lead you to praise. I don't have to perform for Christ to love me. I believe upon the Son of God for that. And it's his work that makes me right with the Father. Beloved, believe no other gospel. Be hoodwinked by nobody on our blocks. Jesus says salvation is in him alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, according to the scriptures alone, to God's glory alone. That's where we stand. And we'll stand there alone. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and grace in allowing us to hear blessed truth from your word. Father, my heart is often heavy as I think about so many ways in which we've believed false gospels and how many times we've added to the gospel. But Lord, may it never be that we add to the gospel. May it be that we are willing to stand firm with the truth that is written and that our hearts will be satisfied in that and that through that you would transform our hearts and our minds and that we would say the true gospel did something to us. And every time we try to add to it, maybe feel the weight of our, our addition, that it is unholy and ungodly to add to that. It is by faith we have been saved through grace. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not our own. It is not our works. There's nothing we have done. It is purely the gift of God, which gives us reason to sing praises to you. And so, Lord, we sing those praises to you. We give you all the thanks. And we want to especially thank you for what we're about to do in just a moment. As people who have surrendered their life to you, and who have believed in the exclusivity of Jesus to save in him alone would covenant together in this place as members of our church. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory for this wonderful moment. May it be something that we remember for the ages and may we hold fast to the covenant in which we give to one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.